I'd invite you to stand in body or spirit as we come before God's Word. Uh, as you may know, this is uh, Palm Sunday. I know it is because we found the palms right as the service started. They're over there. But we'll, we'll get them back and situated shortly. But about four decades, four or five decades ago, what uh, many Christian churches around the world started doing was on Palm Sunday, they also started uh, celebrating what they called Passion Sunday, which was to remind people the whole story of Jesus from Palm Sunday through Good Friday. So the next Sunday morning when people walked into a sanctuary uh, for Easter, uh, they would have understood the whole story. So actually the scripture I'm going to give you this morning is um, uh, from uh, Holy Week, but it has to do with the uh, arrest of uh, or the plot against Jesus in the last week of his life. But as we come before God's word, would you follow after me and join in the Shema and uh, in Hebrew, and then together we'll say it in English. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahad, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, This is chapter 26 of Matthew. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover uh, is two days away and the son of man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. And they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, two weeks ago, we um, uh, got our annual surprise from the appraisal district in the mail. And uh, so when we get it, it's always of some interest to us for two reasons. Uh, One, we're wondering how much uh, we're going to pay in taxes uh, that year. But the other thing is we kind of wonder what they're valuing uh, our house at, if they're anywhere close. And it it makes us suspicious, of course, the neighbors around us. What are they doing to their houses, raising our value? Uh, But when I think about it, I realize that valuations are just a part of life. We're always making uh, valuations of what things are worth. We go to the grocery store, we compare one product to another, or when we go shopping for a particular appliance, we value one or we value it, uh, give another one different value. Sometimes we put valuations on our time and and, uh, things we'll participate in. Maybe it's worth going all the uh, way downtown, try to park, get in a lineup and
and go to the battle flowers or, ah, no, for me, I'd rather watch it on TV. We, we, we make those sort of valuations. I don't know how many of you stayed up to watch the, the Spurs game last night. And I have to say, I valued sleep higher than the second half of the Spurs game. So we're always making valuations. And sometimes we make valuations about people. Sometimes we're like, do I want to answer this call? Do I want to answer this text? Do I want to go to this person's house? Sometimes the valuations are about relationships. I tell you that this morning because the way the story here, as we get into last week of Jesus' life, rolls out is you get actually four different uh, folks who give, eva- who give valuations of Jesus. And you'll see four different responses to him. Uh, and I think one of them gets close. And three of them miss it. It reminds me of the old parable uh, Søren Kierkegaard told 150 years ago about a thief who broke into a store at night. But he didn't steal anything. All the thief did is he switched the price tags on everything. So stuff that was valued at 50 cents, he made $100. Stuff $100, he, he, would give, he would have sold for a quarter. And of course, when the owner came in uh, and the customers, everything was in chaos the next day. And I think it's a beautiful parable because it reminds us sometimes in our life, when it comes to our relationship with the important things of life, we may accidentally have the price tag switched. And so what we see this morning are, are three people uh, are groups who value, who value Jesus one way and then another person who values Jesus another. And I guess we just have to figure out if the price tags they are putting on the situation are appropriate or not. Let's start. Uh, with the chief priests, the first characters we meet in the story this morning, they are meeting in the palace of the high priest Caiaphas. And when they say palace, they mean palace. Even to this day, and uh, I was in Jerusalem a few years ago, you can, on a tour of Jerusalem, go to where the high priest used to live and see the beautiful mosaic floors and, and see the uh, modern conveniences they have in the first century, running water and uh, heated tiles on the floor, the kind of stuff that uh, you wouldn't expect to see. And you realize these chief priests live pretty well. But the valuation they make is this. They said, you know, it's better to go ahead and arrest Jesus before trouble breaks out. Because if trouble breaks out, the Romans are going to come in. And one of two things is going to happen. One, they're going to come in and stomp out on us and take away any freedom we have left. Or the other thing is there's going to be a riot and people, just as they are today, when they go to a rock concert or sporting events and a disaster takes place, people trample each other on the way out. And so it's, uh, it's known in the history of Israel that they would gather large crowds at Passover. Something would happen that would stir the crowd and people would actually get trampled. And so the priests look at this and they say, you know, we better opt for safety. And the safest thing to do would be just to arrest this Jesus quietly and get him out of the way. And so immediately you see the price tag. And the price tag, they say, if we have to choose between a peaceful and orderly existence and Jesus, we'll choose the peaceful and orderly existence. Uh, another interesting thing is that, they, as I mentioned, they're meeting in this luxurious palace. And one also wonders if they are valuing two different things. One is their wonderful lifestyle versus having that lifestyle upset. And they're saying, you know, push comes to shove. I like where I live. I like my situation. If Jesus disturbs it, I'm going to choose against him. So the first valuation, we see that the chief priests already value something more than they do the presence of Jesus. But then the next scene, there's this woman with an expensive jar of perfume. 
And she wastefully pours it all over Jesus, uh, in a sense, anointing him for his death uh, and burial that is to come. Uh, what, what is the valuation here? We don't exactly know. We're only told that the jar of perfume was expensive. Now, there are probably at least three ways that a woman, uh, who most, because most of them in that day were not business owners, is going to come up with that kind of money. One is that they, she was going to, uh, they already somebody in the family, they were expecting to die. So they had gathered this expensive perfume so they could anoint the body. And well, Jesus died before that person. So she went and did that. That's possible. Another possibility for an expensive jar of perfume is some suggest that this woman is not married and this is her dowry. This is what she's in a sense got to pay to get married and she's giving it away right now. Other people suggest that maybe this woman came up to it, uh, to this money for the perfume as an inheritance. Maybe her husband died and she has no children, so it all fell on her. But if either the dowry or the inheritance is the case, here's what's going on. This woman is taking her entire financial future and pouring it at the feet of Jesus. We might say in our modern terms, she's all in. She's pouring her future on a person that doesn't have much earthly future, just a few days left. She has, as we might say, also, if you remember the story of Cortez and Veracruz, she's in a sense burned the ships. There's one she gets rid of this expensive perfume. She's got nothing more than likely. And she's all in on Jesus. And what amazes me about this extravagant waste of hers is, it, is where it takes place too. It takes place in the house of a leper. Trust me, the one thing you don't want in the ancient world, or even today, I guess, is leprosy. And she risks it to pour out all of her fortune that she has, her net worth, all goes on Jesus. That's how she values him. She might be in the ballpark. But then the next group of characters are the disciples who are sitting there watching this and they protest and they say, why this waste? You know, you could have taken this perfume. We could have sold it, got a lot of money and give it to the poor. Now, I, I don't blame the disciples for saying this because if you go back just a few verses earlier in Matthew in 25, Jesus has just been lecturing them and says, look, as long as you've done it to one of the least of these, you've done it under me. So it's almost like the professor gives a lecture and then all of a sudden it's followed by a pop test. It's like, I've told you, take care of the poor and needy. Okay. And then they see all this and they go, oh, we know the right answer. We're going to sell it and take care of the poor and needy. But it turns out not to be the right answer. And Jesus says something that I know for centuries has bothered people. He says, well, the poor you'll always have with you. But let me give you just a bit of research into that. Uh, rabbis in Jesus' day loved to debate about everything. But one of their debates are, what does God really want for, uh, from us? What are the best things we can do? And so one of, two of the finalists that got down among the eight things God really wants from people were taking care of the poor and anointing people for burial. Because those are things God did in the Older Testament. Which one's more important? And they argued about it. And the, the winner was, survey says, winner was this, taking care of the person who has just died for burial because A, it's an emergency you can't plan for. So you have to sacrifice your time and whatever money you have available in the moment. And so they reasoned that, you know, the poor are always going to be there, but this person who's died needs your anointing now. And so Jesus understands that. He's not saying, I don't care about the poor. He's just telling, reminding them of, of the argument and the way it got settled, which is, you know, the most important thing is the sacrifice you can make right now. 
And the disciples don't seem real interested in the sacrifice. Some, I wonder if it's not that they don't sacrifice because they gave up their life to follow Jesus. I wonder if they're just a little embarrassed that this woman comes in, interrupts their dinner, throws herself at Jesus, really, and then wastes all this perfume. And I wonder if they're just, a, you know, they're a little uncomfortable about this thing. And so their response is, well, we could have done something better with that money. I wonder, I'm not exactly sure, but I know that they don't, haven't quite valued Jesus properly. And then, of course, there's the last character, our old friend Judas. And Judas, he actually comes up with the pretty exact price. What, what does Judas mean to Jesus? It's not what it's going to cost him. It's like what I can get from him. If I sell him, I'll get 30 pieces of silver. It's fascinating because in Zechariah chapter 11 in the Old Testament, it's, uh, God talks about a good shepherd and a good shepherd is worth 30 pieces of silver. And in those days, inflation was much less than our days. So you could go centuries and something might still be worth the same. But basically, uh, when, when Judas takes 30 pieces of silver, whether he knows it or not, he's saying that Jesus is the good shepherd. Of course, something in the Bible that Jesus says about himself as well. But basically, he sees Jesus as a means to an end, and the end is his prosperity. I remember uh, years ago uh, in a small town uh, where a friend of mine was the Methodist pastor, he said a new guy came into town and established a business and and was getting it started and started showing up at everything that the the little Methodist church there was doing, the uh, after church suppers, the worship services, started coming to the board meetings. Uh, and, and they were really impressed. And all of a sudden he disappeared. And he asked somebody in the small town, oh, where did so-and-so go? And they said, oh, he's over at the Baptist church now. Oh, said the Methodist pastor, I wonder what we did wrong. And he said, I don't think you did anything wrong. There were just more business contacts at the Baptist church. They're bigger. He had put a valuation on Jesus. And so finally, I think this is what it comes down to. Three groups and people calculated the worth of Jesus. The chief priest said, he's not worth disturbing the peace. The disciples said, well, it's not worth our embarrassment or our reputation. And then Judas said, well, I think I can make some money off him. Three were calculating and one was just, just wasteful. Just wasteful said, everything I've got is yours. How do we value Jesus? I think that's an important question. But here's the kicker. I don't think it's the most important question. I think if you keep reading the story, the rest of chapter 26, he gets arrested in the garden. He gets tried at night, which is illegal. And then the next day he's crucified. What you realize is the most important thing isn't so much how you value Jesus, what valuation you put on him. You start to realize the most important thing is the valuation he puts on you and me. There's a very famous parable Jesus told about a guy that was searching for treasure and he found this pearl of of inestimable worth, a pearl of great price. So he sacrificed everything he could to own the pearl. And most people believe the appropriate interpretation is that the kingdom of God is worth everything you can bring to it. And I do not disagree with that for a moment. But I remember reading a commentator years ago who said, while that may be the interpretation If you look at the gospel, that's exactly what Jesus did. He found something of great value, us, and gave everything he had on earth for us.
I read one commentator say that maybe the greatest miracle of Holy Week is not the resurrection, but that's pretty amazing. Maybe the greatest miracle is if you look at Jesus, he died for the very people. He died on the cross for the very people who put him there. He valued them more than they valued him. Years ago, a woman uh, had a, a robber surprise her in her house during the daytime, and the robber was surprised too. He thought nobody was home. And so he pulled out his knife when he ran into the woman in the kitchen and he said, I, I, Give me all your valuables. And the woman, of course, was startled, but coolly and wisely gave the response to him. She said, Look, you can have anything in this house that you want, but I want to tell you, everything that's valuable to me, valuable to me is two miles down the road at the elementary school. And they're in class right now. I wonder if you would have caught Jesus on his way to the cross and asked him, Jesus, Jesus, where are your valuables? I wonder if he would have said, well, some of my valuables, they're meeting in the palace. Trying, they were trying to figure out how to do away with me. Others of my valuables I left in the Garden of Gethsemane. They had fallen asleep on me. And then, oh, some of my valuables you'll find in the temple where they took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it away that they had gained for me. Those are my valuables. The miracle of Holy Week. And the important part of Holy Week is not how much we value Jesus, but that we understand how much he values us. In just a moment, the cross, as it does every Palm Passion Sunday, is going to come through the sanctuary. I'll invite you to look at it, to stand as it crosses, and to know that this is your note in the mail this week from God of your current value. You are valued at the life of Christ.